COVID issue for all women. All right, all right. Welcome to this week's Sunday Chops. Just another eight and a half weeks of January to go. Exciting. It's Mickey, by the way, and for this Chops, I thought I was going to be miles out of my comfort zone because I'm chatting technology with Dr. Anne-Marie Imaffedon, tech whiz, creator of the award-winning social enterprise Stemets, host of the Women Tech Charge podcast, familiar face off the telly thanks to 61 episodes of Countdown, and author of new book, She's in Control. Turns out, not only is Anne-Marie a glorious, uplifting, encouraging interview, but I also have more of a handle on technology than I realised. We all do, not least because we're surrounded by it every day in pretty much every aspect of our lives. You're listening to this on some sort of a device right now. Get you, I know. So yeah, Anne-Marie was having none of my but my brain is already full nonsense and more power to her and indeed to me. She's in Control is part exploration of why women are underrepresented in tech and part handbook on how to change that starting with our individual relationships with the tech that is all around us. Anne-Marie and I chat about why there are so many gatekeepers in tech, finding ways around them, why it's so, so important women and girls claim their rightful spaces in the world of technology, and how your microwave can help. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. A little peek behind the curtain, listeners, I do not own a microwave, or indeed an air fryer, but Anne-Marie's point still stands. What am I wanging on about at this bit? Keep listening and find out. Anne-Marie, hello. Hi, hey Mickey, how's it going? All right, thank you. My mum is an Anne-Marie, it's quite unusual. <laughs> oh no way, really? Does she spell it correctly or She doesn't have correctly? an E, she's Anne-Marie um, without the, um, oh, the E in it. <laughs> now then, your book, She's in Control, is a really positive space. So... I'm going to start by getting the negative out of the way, because right now, looking generally at the world of tech, she isn't in control. Only 26% of people working in tech in the UK are female. And this is intentional, isn't it? It is intentional. Yeah, she isn't in control yet. She's not in control at the moment. Yeah, it's very intentional. It's a power play, which I think is why we have the word control. I have the word control at the end of it. This is about control. It is about agency. It is about authority. It's about maintaining power structures. So yeah, very, very intentionally, actually, she's not in control at the moment. Why are there so many gatekeepers within tech? Because it seems within this industry in particular, as soon as it starts to shift, more appear to keep women, if not out of the space, certainly not comfortable within it. Yeah, it does tie into this thing of power and it ties into folks who want to maintain power, folks who want to exert power. And so the more that we have women appearing in these spaces, exerting their own technical power, I think the the more that that shift will begin to happen. But you do come up against these gatekeepers who believe that they were born to do the technology. And so actually this is something that belongs to their gender and people like them. There are folks who uh, can't imagine what it looks like for her to be in control. Mm. And so actually then also gatekeep in terms of, yeah, why would you know this? How could you know this? I don't trust that you know this. Um, I don't want to be managed by you on knowing this. I don't want to prioritise based on your experience and based on your perspectives because I don't value, you know, all the different things that that make women women, but also make people people, right? Because women aren't 
this, a monolith of women, of right? Course. There are lots of different types of women. There are lots of women from different backgrounds, different class, different geographies, you know, all the rest. It is about actually maintaining the way things are. It's about folks being able to say, you know, this is something I have over other people. And so how dare you come into this space and how dare you maybe know more than me? How dare you apply this information <laughs> without me having to supervise or be a part of that equation? And so there's lots of that type of gatekeeping that goes on in, in the industry. Okay. Okay. There's the negative stuff. But you are very keen to change the playing field and you're working really hard to do so and get others on board. So can you start by telling us about the work you do with STEMETS and also the importance of STEAM, which was very new to me? Yeah, definitely. So STEMETS is 10 this year. Oh, happy birthday. In about a month's time, 10, 10 on the 12th of February. Thank you. And it's something that I've run over the last 10 years, working with girls and now young non-binary folks too over the last 10 years. The amount of work and impact that you can have on someone's view of themselves but also their ability to make informed decisions about their careers and about their relationship with technology. You know, the earlier you can do that in their more formative years, the better, the more deep set it is, the more likely they are to then be able to realize their potential fully and properly. Mm-hmm. So we work with young folks as we work with folks as young as five and go wow. all the way up to five. And for us, it's about engaging, informing and connecting them to the STEM industry And that's, you know, that's industry itself, that's entrepreneurship, that's academia, but also to STEAM, which is science, technology, engineering, arts and maths and that field. And it's really important for us to do that because, you know, this is the future we're preparing them for. Technology is not going anywhere. But also when we talk about STEAM and the importance of STEAM, you know, a lot of this STEM knowledge on its own standalone isn't useful you need the art you need the design because we're talking about human beings here we're talking about folks expressing themselves we're talking about life there is an importance to have art but also to recognize and to value art and design alongside and as part of that stem conversation it's all too often it's something people feel like they're either a stem person or an arts person and that's absolute nonsense you're a stem person that engages with the arts you're an arts person engages with stem like all of them come together no matter what you're doing in today's world, you're going to have to hit and touch the technology and the STEM at some point because you need to wear a shoe or try and go <laughs> under or over a bridge that, you know, without it collapsing on you. And so it's really important for us to value all of those, right? Take that cross-disciplinary approach. Um, you're much more likely to win a Nobel Prize in the sciences if you've engaged with the arts as part of your upbringing. I'll say that again. You're much more likely to win a Nobel Prize in the sciences if you've engaged in the arts as part of your upbringing. And so it is important for folks as well to see that it's not a binary. It's not, you know, choose one or the other. But actually, there's a lot of value that can be brought. And we solve more problems when we bring those two together and apply them together and value them um, together. Tell us how STEMETs work. Like, what kind of workshops do you do? How do you get the the girls and non-binary kids involved? Sure. So we, uh, our, our ethos is everything we do is free to attend. It's always fun and there's always food. Cracking. I mean, <laughs> am I too old? Which I'm works. Too old. I mean, this is it. People like, <laughs> outside of the, that demographic, they come anyway for the free food because it tastes better than food that you've paid for. Uh, <laughs> but in essence, what we do is we run platforms, we run events and we run programs. And the idea is that you can kind of access the platform on demand any time of day, whether it's our Stemet zine, whether it's our newsletters, whether it's our social platforms and all the content that we put out on there. You then might come to an event for a weekend or for a couple of hours, tune in to maybe or watch back an IG Live or, you know, this weekend we're up in Manchester at Moonpig hosting a hackathon event where you can come and create, learn and shine with what you what you've made. And then we run programs. So these are longer term programs 
and long-term opportunities really for folks to connect with peers and with role models to build those skills but also to be part of a cohort because when you go together you go further and so being able to work over a half term on a certification or work over four months as part of a mentoring cohort or being able to be in a school club, in a Stemillion school club over 10 weeks and get to meet lots of different role models and explore how the STEM and the STEAM relate to you is a really big thing. So in a nutshell, that's all that we do. And this is across the country. Like I said, I was in Manchester yesterday, no, Friday, I'm in Birmingham this week, I'm in Newcastle the week after. So we're constantly up, down, all around trying to serve those young people and, and make the right connections for them into industry, not so that they can all become folks that work in STEM, but so everyone can build that STEM literacy and then folks can make a really informed decision on what happens next for them post-25. I feel like loads of that ethos and that learning and that desire to teach and involve has gone into She's in Control, which is part exploration of why women are underrepresented in tech, why it matters and what we can do about it. And also part handbook on how to change that, starting with us as individuals, because as you've yeah. mentioned, we, we do all need to embrace tech. It's not a question of whether we want to or not. We are surrounded by it. There's no opt out. So I know that you've written a whole book about it. So forgive me this question. But why is getting involved with tech particularly key for women and girls? So it's particularly key for women and girls because we are living in a world and in society where power is systemically actually taken from us or removed from us or devalued in us. And so technology is one of those things that kind of, you know, they say it comes along every now and then. There are tools and certain things that are, are levelers, right, and give us that agency. Mm-hmm. And technology is one where in its nature and the way that the industry has been set up, a lot of it is very open. A lot of it is stuff that you can kind of learn as you go. Like any web page that you go on, in order for you to see the web page, there needs to be a version of the code that lives on your device that you can also see. And so there's a lot of it that's quite open that actually we can learn along, right? We can pick these things up as we go. And so it's something that actually doesn't have to be held against us, doesn't have to be overlawed. It doesn't have to be something that it's kind of, you're not smart enough or we're gonna hide it away. Where in history, there have been things that have been actively hidden and withdrawn and technology is much more open as, as part of the nature of technology in itself. So it's really, really important for women to be able to step into that. But also, you know, society also isn't getting any less technological. And so in the same way that, um, and I said this a, a, a couple of times in the book, but in the same way that if you're going to end up in Italy, if you understand Italian, that means that you have more agency over you know, what you eat, because a lot of the stuff comes back to food, but where you go, you also have an understanding of what's going on around you because you can read the signs and hear the sounds. I think it's the same thing with this technical literacy that actually, yeah, but it's another lens. It's a lens for you to have, to understand the world around you, but also to have some agency over what happens around you. And whether that's in your work life, whether that's in your play, whether that's in just shopping and living and whatever else it might be, whether that's in your health, whether that's in your fitness, whether that's in love, like whatever it might be, being able to understand the technology around, I don't know, that dating app or the technology around, I don't know, that health tracking app or that technology around, you know, the changes that are going on at work means that you're less likely to then be at the mercy of that from people who are technical, who do understand those tools and those ways of, of doing things. You mentioned history and how certain things have been taken from women, withheld from women and girls. And, you know, there are so many herstories lost to history, right? And that is is no different in tech. 
And stories are so important to get future generations involved and wanting to be involved and feeling like they can be involved. So, yeah, I read what I'm about to ask you about in your book, Furious, but not surprised. (laughs) Can you tell the listeners about Wikipedia entries for women in tech and why I'm so angry? (laughs) It's an interesting one. So, I mean, it, we can be, I didn't know that that's what you, I thought you were going to be angrier. Uh, Marie Sophie Germain is the one that gets me angry all the time. Maybe we, we'll come back to that. But well, I think that, if only she'd been allowed to have a patent and been taken. Oh, Wikipedia. Oh, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. And this is the, I mean, that's for me is why I'm less angry about the Wiki, Wikipedia. I'm more angry about Marie Sophie Germain. Talk to us about her first then. Go for it. So let's do Marie first. So Marie Sophie Germain was a mathematician in the 1700s who was studying math at a time when people believed, I don't know, you, your ovaries would explode or whatever if you're a woman <laughs> too much too much math. And so she ended up having to study maths and write in and kind of submit her papers under a male alias, under a male name, Monsieur Leblanc, so that she could be, you know, heard, listened to. They could, you know, you know, back and forth with her and, you know, calculate all the things and do whatever it was that they were working on in string theory. She did all of that and ended up needing to graduate finally to take, you know, take what was rightfully hers. And so kind of then had to be like, I'm not Michelle Leblanc. Ha ha. And Marie Sophie <laughs> was French. There you go. Would have gotten her. away with it if it wasn't for you pesky men. I do imagine, I do imagine the reveal, <laughs> like the mask type reveal. And so it's like, oh my goodness, what, you know, this woman has been doing this and she's been like, you know, doing better than all of us and understanding what we've been saying and she hasn't exploded. And so they had her in as part of their research teams All the rest of it had her working alongside them. They then came at that point was when the Eiffel Tower was going up and they wanted to celebrate the innovation, the engineering, the mathematical prowess of, of France and had, I think it's 72, 172, something like that names that they had space for on the bottom rung of the Eiffel Tower, which is still there, still stands obviously today. And at that point, they were seen as she was a woman and it would be untoward to have a woman's name alongside that of her male colleagues. And so did not put her name there. And that's something that is fairly permanent in that the Eiffel Tower is still standing. It's still the landmark. It's the emblem of Paris and France and all the rest of it. And yet her name is not there. Wikipedia, which is the reason why I'm less annoyed about Wikipedia, is <laughs> not necessarily set in stone. Is something that is open source that lots of people, rightly or wrongly, are able to contribute to and add things to. But it's things of note. So they have uh, different rules within the community and they have moderators and people who add things, but also who edit and almost kind of police you could say uh, wikipedia and so we have a lot of folks who uh, should be on wikipedia should have entries on wikipedia should be there as notable scientists as notable mathematicians but there's a big skew in who the wikipedia community of moderators and of editors allow to be part of this mm. hallowed group of notable people um, and there's a lot of markers that they use there's a lot of times that they've actually people have put women in and they've said no this person is not notable enough or you know all the rest of that kind of stuff and it's quite frustrating because there's a lot of women that are very notable in what they do who have been submitted. There's fantastic uh, Jess Wade who does this. She does a woman, she does someone a day, actually. She adds a new profile up every day and has got really good at it. But again, there's been lots of times when her stuff has been pulled down or things have been pulled back to say, no, this person isn't notable enough or isn't important or didn't do this or we shouldn't, they shouldn't have their own entry, um, which is frustrating. And even more frustrating is the barometer or the, the evidence that you have to stack up for someone being notable, being things like they need to be mentioned in particular papers or cited in particular places, which, you know, again, as we said, this problem doesn't exist in a, in a vacuum. This is about women's wider space in society. And if we are not in the headlines or only in headlines when we're victims, not when we're experts, 
then it's much less likely that that body of evidence that we need to then have those Wikipedia um, entries and be um, take up our, our space as we should, alongside lots of folks who are already on Wikipedia, then less likely is that we're, we're going to be then stay there. So it is very frustrating, but there's something we can do about that. There are a lot of Wikipedia editathons, lots of things that you can do to ensure that that history is not as lost. And if you speak another language, to help make sure translate that and ensure that that history then is globally accessible. So is there going to be like a, a hackathon in Paris where you're going to go and quickly tap her name into the bottom of the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> no comment. I feel like that would be criminal activity. <laughs> in, in another jurisdiction, I'm trying not to uh, incriminate myself in any way, shape or form. But maybe, I, I mean, I haven't denied and I haven't, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't admitted to that. So perhaps. Watch this space. Well, watch that space on the Eiffel watch Tower. <laughs> I love what you've just said there about Wikipedia and the reason I wanted to ask you about it is you're, you're so encouraging about girls, women, people, anyone learning tech, keep a record. And actually that is a joy and a positive that comes from tech. There is a record. It's one of the reasons why I got in in the first place. One of the things that fascinated me was, and I have this in the book of kind of four-year-old Anne-Marie typing Little Red Riding Hood but turning her hood purple saving it in the computer and then coming back the next day and my gobbledygook still being there. And the idea that if you go and, I don't know where that computer has got to, but if you, you know, turn it on and wait ages and open up Word 3.0, a little bit of Amory is still there. And I think it is something that's great. And like I said, it's a privilege that we have, that previous generations didn't necessarily have. You know, there's a lot of use of social media, for example, now, and folks are realising that actually you can also have your own space on the internet. You can create your own space. You can store your own things, you can make your own records, and you don't have to be at the mercy of a social media platform. You don't have to be at the mercy of, I don't know, your local council or the Wikipedia editors or whoever it might be. You can buy your own space, set up your own domain, open up a new blog for free, actually. You don't need to spend any money and document yourself, your ideas, your thoughts, your experiences, your perspectives. And again, there's a power in that. There's a power in being able to tell your own story and own your own narrative that, again, folks before have have struggled in some way, uh, have struggled and haven't necessarily had those tools in the way that we have them now to be able to do that. You talk to young people a lot of the time and your book is gorgeous because I think it it would hit any age from like eight upwards. You know, you might, they might need a little bit of help with some sections, <laughs> not you, Ovs, but we'll get onto that <laughs> prodigy. But I think it also goes up to like however old you are when you're reading and that, and that's the joy of technology as well, right? There's no age limit on learning. And I would definitely say that I am someone who's, I'm not good at maths. So tech isn't for me. When I was at school, we weren't taught computer sciences. We had two computers in the school just as I was sort of leaving. Mm -hmm. And so I'd be like, oh, it's not for me. I'm a bit old to learn. But you would probably gently shout at me, wouldn't you? How do I put my ideas up? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, you're not dead yet. And it's one of those things where it's like, you're alive now. Like we're on Zoom. Like you, like there's a little bit that you've understood to be able to get here. There's a lot you're able to do as a result of your knowledge of Zoom. Imagine if, you know, there was even more of things that you were able to know and understand. And, you know, there was a time you didn't know what Zoom was. And here we are doing all of this on Zoom. So I always say, like, it's never too late. There's so much, so much, uh, so many experiences and perspectives you'll have in life that that added to the technology also shows a different side to insert Zoom here, not that they're sponsoring us or whatever. But there's a lot more of life that you're able to see, understand, express 
and do through your knowledge of it. And so it doesn't matter the age that you are. I'd argue that actually, because we stop at 25 for Stamets, I wrote the book for kind of 26 and above. Okay. Because <laughs> if you're any younger, come along, come and eat the food, come and have a <laughs> see Moon Pig, come on, you know, all the rest of it. But it, yeah, it's definitely one that, you know, grandparents or whoever it might be, wherever you are in life, you know, I talk about Ghislaine Boddington, who was a dancer, who was dancing before the internet and the web were even a thing. And now through her knowledge of dance and how she's wanted to dance with people in other countries at the same time, she's become a, an expert on virtual worlds and hybrid living. And we only really know what hybrid is now because of the pandemic. But as a trained dancer who's not a trained technologist, this is something she's been looking at for decades as a result of just following her own passion and her own you know, problems that she's trying to solve. And I feel like everybody can go on that journey of if it's fishing, if it's cooking, if it's whatever it might be, there is an element of technology that could be used to help you with that, that could also end up solving problems for others. So Jenny Griffiths is the other person in the book whose story is a really good example of this, where, you know, she took the problem of when you see someone, you're like, oh, I love that jumper. Where'd you get it from? Her thing was like, I want to take a picture of the jumper and then find it on the high street so anyone can buy the jumper. And it's able to kind of, you know, interpret what well, it's a jumper, the material it might be of, the color that it is, da 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 And that technology is now being used in airports to scan bags because if you can tell the jumper and you can tell a peplum skirt from a not peplum skirt you can probably tell the components of a gun or you know whatever it might be from i don't know a toy gun or whatever it might be and and so it's being her being able to use that to solve what feels like a bit of a silly problem you know which is still a problem because if it's a nice jumper and you don't always want to ask them and the rest of it you know being able to then apply that to airport security which means that now we don't have to unpack everything from our hand luggage as we go through airport security to travel. Like that as a thing, like there's so many more of those examples that there are a lot of things that men don't, haven't lived through, don't experience, don't see as important that actually if we overlaid that with the technology, there's even more problems that we could solve. And so I think it's really, really important for everyone to contribute in some sort of way to that. Definitely. And and Jenny was another brilliant example of like women just haven't been in the room or not been allowed in the room. Mm-hmm. And that when she was designing her website and stuff and like I got a team together, they were like bras, they, they were putting like small, yeah, medium, that was, large. Yeah, and they didn't understand else, yeah. that bras needed numbers and letters. And you're like, because there's no women in the room. Do you know that website still does bras that way? I have to say, every time I see my friend who, who I promise I wouldn't, I won't say she is, and it's not Jenny, but every time I see her, she's like, do you know, they still haven't changed the website, Anne Marie. In 2023, they've built a web, a shopping website, and no one. How many bras do you think they sell? A bra. So you're now no. selling bras on extra large and large. What? Anyway, it's outrageous. <laughs> the idea that there's no age limit as well. I think a lot of people who are that bit older and maybe weren't taught it in school and that kind of generation onwards don't realise how au fait we are with so much tech because we just use it every day now. Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing about gatekeeping. I think a lot of it is just seeped into everyday life. And so there's almost too much to gatekeep, right? It's like, how much are you like, you can't touch your phone because it's like, no, I'd, I'd rather you just touched your phone and navigated yourself and I didn't have to be a part of that <laughs> transaction. And so I think it is that it's a really privilege. It's a real privilege, it's a real benefit that it is now open access. access. It is something we are able to use. And, and it means that it's more important that we lean into it rather than leaning back and saying, I, I didn't know that. I'm too old for it. I don't get the maths. I'm too arty. All, you know, all of that stuff. Well, now we have to kind of lean in into it. Let's talk a little bit about you. Now, you are ridiculously qualified. So for listeners, just to let you know, Amory got A-levels in maths and computer science at 11, a master's from Oxford, aged just 20. I mean, if I was wearing a hat, I'd be tipping it at you right now. <laughs> you have quite rightly 
made a huge splash and a name for yourself in this world, in the world of tech. I wondered if, despite all of that, do you still face barriers in that world? And if so, how do you deal with them? I do and I don't. I think it's it's something I've had from when I was younger. Um, I'm not incredibly perceptive. And it's, and it's a funny one to kind of look back on. So I didn't realise I was a woman in tech or the only girl in the room until <laughs> I started working. And I went to a women in tech conference and I was like, oh my goodness, three and a half thousand technical women here. I have never been in an environment like this. And then I looked back, I was like, oh my goodness, yeah, it was me, Clarice and Karina at university. And oh yeah, in that exam, it was just me. And oh yeah. And so I'm not incredibly perceptive. And so when I do face barriers, I think for me, I'm always like, okay, cool. What's the learning from here? And what's the next window or door I want to go through rather than trying to unpick, hmm, that person put that in because I'm young or that person put that in because I'm a woman or that person put it in because I'm black or that person put it in because I'm from East London or that person put it in because they're jealous of my shade of grey. Like I can't unpick which of the, what it is and the is it combination because it, sometimes it could be the three of them together uh-huh, that's effective. Yeah. And actually, again, those aren't things I can change about myself. And so I think for me, any of the barriers that I have faced, I almost have to wait a long time to have not just the benefit of hindsight, but the benefit of comparators to say, oh, all of us applied for that board and that was who they chose or that was who was invited to interview or, you know. And so I think for me, it's often an interesting one of there are many barriers I don't face because of the levels of privilege that I do have from everything that you've just listed off. And the fact that often I end up in spaces and I'm invited into spaces rather than having to force myself in or push myself into those spaces. But also the fact that actually then again, the barriers you know, most of them are outside of my control. And so my work is rather than necessarily having to work on the barriers for me personally, is to work on the barriers I see for others, but also to make sure that I just keep learning, I keep evolving um, and I keep going on the, the objective and the the different version of reality that I'm really wanting to make sure is is what, what we're living in. Good answer. <laughs> good non-answer. Non-answer, but still a good, a good non-answer one way or another. No, it's, a, it's a good answer. <laughs> It's an honest answer. There'll be women listening who are like me and have gone, oh, I don't know, I feel like my brain is full. I don't know that I can learn more tech, Mm -hmm. who will have been inspired by you and our chat. Where would you suggest they start if they are curious? Um, So if your brain is full, I think there are things that you're still learning and you're still picking up. So as much as your brain might be full, I think there's connections between tech and the things that are already in your brain that is definitely a good place to start with your curiosity. So like I said, if you like fishing or you like knitting, you like eating, whatever it might be, look for where that and the tech come together. I've got in the book lots of different examples in the kind of getting started sections of, you know, at one point I'm like, you know, search for the future of food. Like just what like what is that? Because that could be an exciting thing to do. There could be new fangled metaverse, 3D printing, who knows what words that you find that you're like, okay, cool. 3D printing food. Right. What's 3D printing? You know, and kind of follow that string of curiosity. I think the other thing to do is as you're listening, and we're fortunate again now that there's lots of magazines, there's lots of podcasts, there's lots of TV shows, there's lots of different places where you can kind of consume that tech content without it having to feel ominously like you're you're in a you know computer science lesson or whatever it might be and so you know that's why i have things like the podcast we've got the i've got the women tech charge podcast we've got the stomach say what podcast now as well but listening listen to different conversations from different folks and try to try to see where that overlaps with what you are interested in or the problems that you have and i think that's often where folks are able to kind of start with that curiosity and it's trying to solve one problem that you end up somewhere completely different you're like okay cool i haven't solved my problem but there's a couple of things that i've learned along the way that actually may solve other problems 
I loved the idea as well that's in the book of just taking a bit of kit that you are quite familiar with, say your phone, and just making sure you've looked at everything in it. Go to the settings. What does that do? What does that do? Yeah. What does that do? Yeah, that's a really easy way. Like, what is this button on Instagram yeah. that I've never pressed? You know, delete is your friend, but you will also go on a lovely journey and learn some stuff. Yeah, because you never, I mean, the number of settings people have in, I don't know, like your microwave. People always like, and I'm like, yeah, your microwave is basically a computer at this point in your house. Like, we press one button, max two on our microwave. <laughs> What do the other buttons do? And again, that's like a food one. I mean, even an air fryer, right? Everyone now, I think they've finally got all of us to have an air fryer. So it's like, look through the different modes. And there'll be things that you see there that then are similar on your computer or, or in the wash, in the microwave. And you're like, huh, who knew? I could have just done that in my microwave the whole time. And they really have got me with this air fryer thing. Right, I'm off to play with my microwave. She's in Control, <laughs> How Women Can Take Back Tech is published by Bantam Press and it's out now, available at all good bookshops. Anne-Marie, where can people find out more about what we've been chatting about and also what you're up to? She's in control, ctrl.com. We'll take you to my website and you can have a look there and see some cool bits. Um, um, turn up on TV every now and then. I've actually recorded two episodes of Cats Does Countdown. Amazing. So you can also take a look at that as well as the podcasts. And then Stemets, S-T-E-M. E-T-T-E-S, if you are under 25 or know someone under 25 who is a young woman or young non-binary person. Brilliant. Thank you so, so much for chatting with me. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Standard Issue for All Women.